Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you did come, that you cared enough to take the form of a man, to humble yourself for the explicit purpose of reconciling all those who call upon your name unto yourself. If there's any person here or watching online or listening on radio who does not know you, I pray that right now in their hearts, your Holy Spirit would draw them to understand the truth. That even though you came as a baby, you came to become the man who would be the living sacrifice. That you shed your blood that we might have life. That any person who calls upon your name will be saved. And if that's you, that the Lord is speaking to you. Ask him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Make me a new person. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me what it means to walk in your ways, that I might honor you and serve you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've continued talking about abundant life. What does it mean to live abundantly in a walk with Christ? It's not trying to find abundance in this world or wreaking from the world some type of special joy. It is walking with him, submitting to him, letting him use you, fill you with his spirit, recreate you, make you into the image of Christ so that he might accomplish what he desires in your life and in the lives of those around you. Last week we were talking about what does it mean to have abundant freedom and I mentioned three specific things that I believe are the foundations of abundant freedom. The first is liberation from bondage, that is, when you come to know Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. You've been set free. You're a new creation in him. And any bondage that we have of any type is holding us back from the freedom that Christ offers. Some people have bondages to substances or anything really that can addict you physically. Or some people have bondages to certain types of sin or lustful desires or something of that nature. But any of those can control you and inhibit your life. And then I also mentioned that if you're gonna have freedom in this world, you have to believe truth rather than lies. And the longer I've been a Christian, the more I am aware of how subtle the lies are of the spiritual forces of evil and how easily they can creep into our minds and our thoughts and take residence there, maybe for an extended period of time, without us even recognizing we are believing a lie. And I mentioned before that 
The Lord has showed me over time some places where I have believed lies. I didn't realize that was what I was doing, but it was occurring. But if you're going to have real freedom in walking with him, you must stand in truth. And then also we said that in order to be free, you must be a forgiving person. You cannot get through this life's journey without encountering circumstances and situations where people are going to do things that require or necessitate that you forgive them. And if you are an unforgiving person in any area, you are not free. Now I'm gonna to talk today about a subject that is a little different but related, but the foundation even there is gonna come from these. So I would ask you again, is there any of these areas where you are not free? Are you holding unforgiveness against any person? Are you believing lies of any sort? Or are you in bondage to something that controls you that is clearly not of God? Now what I wanna talk about today is abundant joy. How does one have true abundant joy in our lives? Now, in the culture in which we live, we think that it is a natural right to be able to acquire and pursue happiness, whatever that is. And most people think that the goal of life is to be personally happy, to find that which satisfies and, and gives me joy in different ways. And it's not inherently wrong to want to be happy and joyful. I think God wants us to enjoy life. However, it does depend upon what is the motive in you seeking happiness and what is it from which you derive joy and happiness and what is the foundation of it. And so to explore this idea of abundant joy, I wanna to go to a scripture that may not be one you would normally think of as revealing about joy, but joy is clearly stated there. And it's Hebrews chapter 12. And in chapter 11, you know that this writer there had listed all these people who were the, the great people of faith in the nation of Israel. It's referred to as the Hebrews Hall of Fame. People who had walked by faith, trusted God, been used by him, and one after another are listed there in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, the writer says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, all of these who have gone before, who have gone to heaven in the presence of God, who are witnesses about the faith and truthfulness of God. Now, it does not mean that there are a bunch of faithful people floating around on a cloud watching this world. In fact, I think that's one of the mistakes that people often make, that so-and-so is looking down upon me. Well, look, if they have exited this world and they're in the presence of God where there is no sin, they are not looking back at this world which is filled with sin. And what we need to recognize is the cloud of witnesses here are those who have gone to heaven who are a testimony to God's work and that the hope is in the future that is, in eternity with him. But he says, because of this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, that easily entangles, 
and let us run the race, that is the race of life with perseverance, that we should do so with our eyes fixed on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sitting down at the right hand of God the Father. And of course, the part that I want to focus upon is the idea that Christ went to the cross, endured the cross for a joyful purpose. You see, we tend to think of joy and happiness as something that is an emotional outcome from the easy, quick things of life that make us feel better. But I do believe that the joy that comes from the Lord is deeper and richer and often is a pathway that is not easy. That is, that it carries with it difficult days and trials and testing. And it might in some ways or another really bring you to a place of weakness. But it eventually, there is a joy that comes from knowing that you have walked in the will of God, that he has accomplished something through you, even though it was a not, not an easy path. Now, what was the joy set before Christ in enduring the cross? Well, I believe it was the joy of liberating humanity from our bondage to sin that any person who would call upon his name could be saved, that he would give his life, he would shed his blood as the covering, the washing, to take away the sin of each and every person. That you and I might not only have life abundantly in this life, but have eternal life. And it wasn't a secondary plan. Christ came at the fullness of time, at the perfect time, he came with this mission in mind. He knew his journey, yet he was fully man and fully God. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to the Father, if there be any other way, could this cup be taken from me? But he had known. He had prophesied it in several ways. He had said that they could kill him, but three days later, he would arise. And yet, the difficulty of this journey was real. The most gruesome way to die, perhaps ever in history, was by crucifixion. And he chose that route, I believe, as a testimony to the magnitude of his love for each and every person, and as a symbol that all could see. The cross is universally recognized. Now, it's occasionally I've seen someone wearing a cross, and I've asked him why, and most of the time it's because they know him, but occasionally I've had someone say, well, it's fashionable. If you really understood the cross, I don't think you would think it's fashionable. You might still wear it, but because it has much deeper meaning, because he endured its shame, the cross was reserved for the worst of criminals. It was public humiliation 
at the last moment of your life to be hung publicly where others could see this one deserves death. But he did so for the joy set before him. And he calls us to a similar path. In Luke, Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. For whoever wants to save his life, that is, keep this life and control it, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will save it. It is an interesting thing that in coming to know Christ, he promises you and gives you life. And at the same time, he takes it away. What he takes away is your old nature, your sinful nature, the old you that is crucified with him. And what he gives you is the new life that is his life that comes from his spirit who dwells within you to make you totally new. So it is true that we are simultaneously dying continuously and simultaneously arising as a new person, a new one in Christ. And you see, I wanna talk about abundant joy, but if your goal in seeking joy is from this world by your fleshly desires, it's gonna be disappointing. If your joy is something that is deeper and richer that comes from God, it's gonna be long-lasting. Now, I wanna talk about the difference between these two. That is what I might call worldly joy or godly joy. I believe worldly joy is paradoxical. A paradox is something that is inherently contradictory. It says one thing but is actually another, it doesn't really make sense. Like this is a paradox, okay? <laughs> Have you ever seen a monster Prius program advertised anywhere? You probably won't. That's a paradox, it just doesn't make sense. I showed that slide last night after the service, there's this nice couple came up to me to meet me. They'd never met me before. They're fairly new to the church. This guy pulls something out and he says, do you know what this is? I said, well, it's a key to a car, but I don't, oh, it's a Prius key. <laughs> but you see, that is genuinely a paradox. Well, when it comes to joy, I think the joy that is paradoxical is this. It's seeking after happiness from a self-centered perspective, always seeking pleasure, it's self-indulgent, it's lustful, it's rooted in pride, it's fleeting, meaning it's, meaning it's temporary, it goes away quickly, and it is in constant need of something new to be refueled, reinvigorated. This is why some people have to go from one adrenaline rush to another, always looking for the next form of pleasure. And like an addict to anything, a little bit at one time may have given you a high, but eventually it takes more and more and more and more. 
And there is a lie in this type of pleasure-seeking joy. It's the temptation that the spirits of evil put before you to make something look very attractive, to pull you into it and say, this is the way only to close the trap. And you find that what gave you temporary pleasure, temporary happiness, temporary joy, leaves you with guilt, shame, condemnation, regret. Is that not the nature of life? And you see, a lot of people when they think of joy are thinking along the terms of those things that give me physical pleasure and happiness. Some pastors, and I don't think this is wrong, but they try to divide between joy and happiness, but really if you think about it, it's sort of hard to divide. How do you know when I'm happy but I'm not joyful or when I'm joyful and I'm not happy? Well, it's a little hard to say. But when they teach along that line, and again, I'm not saying that's wrong, they're really saying that happiness is this, but joy is something else. Well, I don't think that distinction is as important as recognizing what is the source of your joy or your happiness. That your source, if it's like this, is definitely going to be fleeting. But godly happiness is a true joy It's Christ-centered, and it is self-denying. It's not self-indulging, it's self-denying. If you remember back when I talked about abundant physical life, I said that the difference in our culture is right there, that we think abundant physical life is found in self-indulgence, but it's actually found in self-control, which means denying some of my fleshly desires. That it is self-denying, it is self-sacrificing, giving of myself. See, is it not true that you find greater, deeper, richer joy in denying your selfishness and giving it to others in some way, serving others, than you do by trying to please your own personal desires? That the richest joy comes through sacrifice. You take a young mom who day after day after day is sacrificing a lot of maybe her personal desires to take care of a little one, but over time realizes what a great investment it is and how that sacrifice yields deep, long-lasting joy. And godly joy is humble, it's abiding. The word abiding means that it just, it's continuing, it's staying, it's true. That it's rooted in grace. Now here's an interesting thing. The Greek word that is translated as joy in English is what we would spell as C-H-A-R-A. It's hara, or we might pronounce it chara. And The Greek word that is translated as grace is spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. It's charis, but we would say charis. And you see the root word underneath joy is grace. The root from which you get the word joy is grace. Essentially, joy Real joy is a grace gift of God. 
That's why the scripture says every child is a what? Gift from God. There's a family in the church here who just had a baby just within the last day or so. It, this is a gift from God. That true, deep, abiding joy is his gift. It's always good, it's always pure, it's always holy. It never harms anybody else. It's all the characteristics of his love and it endures. It's something from which you can find joy and satisfaction years later. Not regret, guilt, shame. The type of pleasure that the, joy, that the world would lead you to leaves you with that years later. Now there's an interesting scripture that's over in the book of Nehemiah. And you have to remember a little bit about the history of Israel to understand the context of this scripture. Remember that Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. They were, many of them were carried off into exile into Babylon, modern day Iraq. That eventually, after Nebuchadnezzar and others had passed and the Persians had conquered, that some of the Israelites were allowed to come back and among the earlier ones was Zerubbabel, who did what? who rebuilt the temple and who has, to me, one of the most interesting names in Scripture. Has anybody ever named their child Zerubbabel in the United States? I've never met somebody named that. It's hard to pronounce. But Zerubbabel came back, rebuilt the temple, even though there was a delay and it took time. Remember, the, the Lord said through the prophet to Zerubbabel that he would do it not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And then later, there's Nehemiah, who learns that the walls around Jerusalem are still destroyed and in disarray, and it's important for the city. So he convinces the Persian king to allow him to go back and rebuild the walls. And so we pick up this scripture after the time that the temple's been rebuilt, the walls have been rebuilt, and the people have been hearing the reading of the book of the law. In other words, the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, that they've been reading it at the temple and the people have been listening. And then this scripture records what happens at that point. It says, Nehemiah, who was the governor, the leader, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, that they said to the people, this day is a sacred day to the Lord. They're saying it's a sacred day of thanksgiving, of celebration. It's almost like we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Well, it's Thanksgiving for the Lord allowing the exiles to come back and rebuild things in Jerusalem. And they're saying to the people, do not mourn. And the reason they're saying that is because the people have been weeping and crying as they listened to the law of Moses. And I suspect the reason they were crying was that they realized that God had judged them and carried them off into exile because of their rebellion, their wickedness, that now his favor was upon them, that he had relented, he'd allowed them to come back, he had blessed them in the rebuilding, and they were weeping and crying with thanksgiving before the Lord. But Nehemiah says to them, look, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks. In other words, go and have a thanksgiving feast and be thankful for what God has done. He said, this is a sacred day. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He makes this statement now that the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And we are created in God's image. I don't mean, think that means we look like him, but I think it means we have capacities like him. In other words, we can reason and think and we can experience emotions. God gets angry, the scripture records. I'm sure there are things that make God very, very happy. We know that in heaven, anytime a person comes to salvation, what happens? There's rejoicing, there's a celebration. And so God says there is a joy that is his that he will give to you. And that's what Nehemiah is saying here. He's saying, look, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That is, honoring him and worshiping him gives us this sense of true joy. And of course, we know that even though they had rebuilt things and had this high moment, there would still be difficult days ahead. The trials inevitably come. It's like for all of us, is it not true that you'll go through the seasons of great, great success, you have a mountaintop experience, but the valleys are still around the corner somewhere. It's part of the journey of this life. And worldly joy will not last through all of them. But the joy of the Lord is your strength, whether you're in a mountaintop experience or in the darkest valley. You know, I have been around plenty of people who were going through perhaps the most difficult thing of their entire life. And yet there was still an abiding joy, a peace, a recognition that God was with them I'm thinking of like a person who was losing her spouse after having been married for many decades and having had a blessed season together and yet knowing it was time to say goodbye and somehow there was still joy, still peace. See, worldly joy will not survive through those scenarios but the joy of the Lord is your strength even in the dark valley Jesus said something that's a bit similar in the book of John he said now remain in in my love if you obey my commands you will remain in my love does it mean that you wander in and out of his presence or you lose salvation or something it just means if you want to enjoy the greatest blessings walk with him he says I have obeyed the father's command so remain in my love as I have done he said I told you this so that his joy he's saying remain in my love walk with me so that his joy may be complete and then that your joy would likewise be complete Remain in him so that his joy is where? In you, and that your joy will be complete. That joy is a grace gift from God that's in you, even in the difficult seasons, the difficult days. But notice how he immediately then says, for I give you this command to love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. 
And I started with the scripture in Hebrews where it says that he did that very thing. He laid down his life for the joy set before him. For your joy to be complete, it is likewise you and I laying down our life, walking with him, being filled with his spirit, enjoying his joy. Now, I have to talk about this a little bit personally because for those of you who've been here a while, you might recall that a few years ago, I mentioned that uh, I was talking about the fruit of the Spirit and I said of all of the fruit of the Spirit, the one that I struggle the most with is joy. And I've thought about that a lot over the years and particularly this week when I first realized the Lord wanted me to talk about abundant joy, I was thinking, wonder who else could teach this? Because I'm teaching more from my weakness than my strength. And I've been thinking a lot about, well, why is that? Why is joy a struggle for me? Now, I think in one sense, some of it is just the way God has gifted me. In other words, there's some people who are strongly gifted with encouragement. Their, strong, their strongest gifts have to do with relating to people. They tend to be real upbeat people. You've been around such people. And it's not very often that they seem to be more solemn. I tend to be on the other end of the spectrum. And I think it's because the Lord has gifted me with discernment. In fact, when I take spiritual gifts tests, pastoring and teaching is very high, but discernment is right at the top. And one of the consequences of that, the good side of that, is it helps in being a teacher, it helps in counseling a lot, things like that. It helps in seeing what's going on in the world, but it also means that I am very, very, very aware of the darkness, often. Some people who have a gift of discernment actually have visions of the darkness. They see it, what the workers of evil are doing. I don't have it that way, but the Lord just reveals it. I'm just very, very aware of the darkness. And I think because I spend so much time in that realm, in my thinking, that it, it pulls away some measure of joy. And then I also thought about this. I think for many years before I was a Christian, certainly, and then even years after I was a Christian, I was still trying to find joy in a worldly context. I think far too many Christians are trying to do that. Trying to manufacture joy in their own strength in a worldly context instead of enjoying the joy of the Lord. And as I've thought about this, I may not be so outwardly joyful, but in the depths of my soul, there is the joy of the Lord. There is his strength there that perseveres even through the dark times. And I've recognized this too. In the early part of this teaching, I was saying last week that what robs you of freedom is bondage, lies, or unforgiveness. And so I was asking the Lord, some of those, if not all of those, have to be the factors that rob you of joy. And what is it for me? Or what is it for you? In other words, if you are unforgiving, it will rob you of joy. It will absolutely rob you and turn you into a bitter person. 
And I don't think that's been a huge source of my struggles, even though over the years there have been seasons where certainly I needed to forgive. And if you are in a bondage to something, it will rob you of joy, whatever it is. And I'm thankful the Lord's given me victory in those areas. But when I really thought about my struggles in recent years about joy, it's believing lies, the subtle lies. The lie I told you about that the past was better than the future. During that season, I got down about life. I also recognized that over the years, there was a subtle lie that I believed, and that is that the past determined the future. In other words, because of my mistakes, my sins, God was limited in what he would do. Not limited by his lack of power, but limited by his choice, as if he would always say, sorry, but you don't quite measure up. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, I didn't realize so much that was the lie I was believing until the Lord made it more clear. Do you believe the lie that your past determines your future? Sometimes in the world's eyes, that is how it turns out to be, but in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, it is never that way. Do you realize that? That, that he does not hold your past against you. You are not under condemnation. You have been set free. You're a new creation in him. What determines your future is his wonderful plans for you. And I have realized that God certainly has not treated me as I deserved according to the past, that his blessings, his goodness, his greatness have been far more. Now, maybe you don't struggle with joy. Or maybe you're trying to find joy in the wrong places. But I do think the Lord is good about bringing new blessings every day and giving you new joys. This is why the lie that the past is better than the future certainly is not true. In the eyes of the Lord, there are new blessings every day. He has unique ways of bringing along situations, circumstances, people, opportunities, and say, here, there's a new and fresh blessing. So now, if you struggle with joy, are you trying to find joy in the world and extracting it from the world? then maybe you need to stop and realize that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you're not able to richly enjoy the joy of the Lord, perhaps you're believing a lie. Perhaps you are walking in unforgiveness. Perhaps it's a bondage that is robbing you of joy. But whatever it is, I am convinced that the Joy of the Lord is something the Lord wants to continually give to you. 
impart to you. Maybe, maybe you're not ever going to be the bubbly person who's an encourager and that type of person because maybe you weren't created to be. But you can have the joy of the Lord that sustains you steadily throughout life. So I pray that the spirit of the Lord would be upon every person here. That he would impart to you a clear understanding of joy and that you could richly dwell in his joy. That the joy of the Lord would be your personal strength. Especially for those of you who are going through valleys. There are always people in a group this size, even in a fairly small group, there's always somebody there going through a valley. Maybe you're walking alongside somebody right now who's dying. Maybe you've been through a difficult trial in a relationship, in your marriage, maybe in your job. But I pray that the joy of the Lord would be your strength even in the valley. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 